All right, I'm here with Mark Victor. Um, Mark is a longtime friend, friend of the family. Um, he's been around for a long, long time, he was a student of my dad's. Um, he is now a criminal defense attorney, he has been for many, many years, um, doing his best to defend freedom in, in the real world. And he's the owner of the Attorneys for Freedom law firm, um, based in Arizona. And um, what's going on? What's going on with you right now and with the firm and the state of liberty? You know, it's an interesting time to be alive. And, um, you know, probably most people you would talk to who are freedom inclined, I'll say, uh, care about individual liberties and things like that and personal responsibility would say that this is the worst time ever. Uh, we've got um, governors basically acting as little kings and issuing edicts all over the place. Uh, some of them tethered to reality, some of them not, and changing all the time and pronouncing these uh, very vague pronouncements about what you can do and what you can't do, and people are getting cited with crimes that they don't understand, and all kinds of craziness in the world. And um, then we've got this sort of dueling concern with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and what happened with um, George Floyd and police brutality issues and the world just seems in a complete upheaval and it's the actual the entire world too on both of these issues and so most people would be very pessimistic um but i know for a fact uh that your dad would love this time right now he would i would i would i know already that i would say to him hey butler uh, are you pessimistic about the state of freedom now are you pessimistic yet and he would say oh no this is the greatest thing ever that's happened for freedom. And I used to argue with him for years on these types of issues, but he's right. And this is a good time to be optimistic about the prospects for freedom. I think it's the best time ever, actually, because a couple of things are true right now. First, I think that the failure of sort of central planning um, and having the government run and decide and impose a sort of one size fits all rule on everything has never been more obviously a failure um, and for many different reasons and again i i don't think that um the people at least not all the people in fact most of the people i would say who are in government aren't acting with any bad faith about things i think they're probably acting in good faith and trying to uh, guide their way through this sort of pandemic thing but there's lots of misinformation and there are people are in different risk positions as to the coronavirus. And even people in the same risk positions have different uh, risk tolerances, right? You and I may be in exactly the same position and you may be a risk taker. You might say, hey, you know, life is short. I'm gonna live my life and do whatever I want. And I might say, no, I'm not taking a chance here. And, um, you know, in a free market, more of a free market response would, uh, be more in line with, hey, you know, the person who owns the property probably should decide under what circumstances somebody can enter the property and whether someone should be tested first or wear a mask or they should be shut down or whatever. Um, but when governments come in with this sort of one-size-fits-all pronouncement, it you can't make everybody happy like this. And then in addition with this, um, the George Floyd thing, Again, we have overgeneralizations, right? We have calls at the same time to improve training of police officers, 
and also to defund the police at the same time. So complete chaos with central planning. And so I think we've never had a time in our lives that people legitimately are frustrated with both sides. Like we know at this point that whether you come from the left or whether you come from the right, you're unhappy about what's going on. Look at the two uh, champions of each side right now. We have Donald Trump for the right, and we have, it looks like, Joe Biden for the left. <laughs> These are the best and brightest that have been produced with the current system. So it's a great time, while I'm sitting here, to say, I don't know if you can see that here. Does that say, there we go. Awesome. Live and let live. This, tell us about this. Tell us about what, what does that mean? Well, live and let live is an effort to say, you know what? Um, we have a great argument here to say, whether you like the idea of globalization or not, or whether you are in favor of global ideas or not, uh, sorry, we live in a global world now, whether you like it or don't like it. And maybe the best evidence for this is uh, somebody did something in China that affects us here, whether it was a wet market problem or it was a virus experiment in a lab, it affected us here. And because it affects us here, we need to think about the types of risks that arise from all over the world. This isn't the only kind of risk. There are more risks coming because we live in a world now where it's really easy to trade anywhere in the world and companies occupy different countries in the world and we travel, at least we did before coronavirus and hopefully will again, internationally with ease. And it, this sort of Murray Rothbard type of analysis where here's where I live and here's the analysis, how I interact with my neighbor. Your neighbor now is effectively anywhere in the world. And so when we think about coming technologies, things like artificial intelligence, things like easy nukes, imagine soon technology will be available to uh, that maybe anybody working in their garage, maybe over a weekend can come up with a nuclear warhead or biological weapons, or new viruses. Uh, so there are tons of really serious global threats that are coming. And so we, the reasonable people of the world, we need to really assert ourselves at this point. We need to step up and say, look, we don't all agree on morality, okay? We've been arguing about morality for thousands of years, and we're not likely to agree on all things morality. But we need to sort of coalesce around a principle that we call the live and let live principle. It's basically the idea that, look, we're all human beings and we disagree on things. But what's the first point of agreement by people who don't agree on anything? You would think it's sort of this idea, okay, fine, let's agree to disagree. Or you do you and I'll do me. Or you live your life however you think is best, I'll live my life however I think is best. And all we really need to figure out is at what point are we interfering with the other? Mm -hmm. And so I think the rational place to draw the line here is to say, you shouldn't be an aggressor, right? How about, can we agree on a main rule? How about you don't aggress against other people? That seems like something all reasonable people should agree on. Don't be an aggressor. Okay, great. We need a little more detail, though. So what does it mean to aggress? Well, uh, if you initiate force, that's certainly an aggression. If you engage in fraud 
or you engage in coercion, okay, these all seem like aggressions to me. These are the kinds of things that reasonable people ought to be able to say, that's wrong. That's when you're interfering with another person. There's another category as well, which we might call the substantial threat or the substantial risk of such a thing. This is exactly why we recognize the idea of self-defense, right? I mean, if I, if I hold a gun at you, it wouldn't quite be accurate to say, I'm not interfering until the bullet hits your head, right? At some point, you've got to change your life now and deal with the risk that I've created and I'm interfering with you. That's because I've created a substantial risk of using physical force. That's why we recognize self-defense. You can act before somebody actually discharges the round into your body. Okay, great. That's the area that we're talking about. The initiation of force, fraud, or coercion, or a substantial threat at such of such a thing. So if somebody does that, we should agree that we can act to prevent that. And if I can act to prevent that, then my neighbor can act on my behalf to prevent that. I can hire an agent to prevent that as well. Whether you call that person a police officer or not, I don't really care what you call the person. I only care that the way they're acting is appropriately. And so I can actually say that everybody should be subject to this rule, whether you're an individual or whether you form up with other individuals and call yourself a group, or whether you call yourself an organization, or whether you use the G word and call yourself a government, nobody has a right to violate this rule. We call this the live in, let live principle, for short, the three LP. This is the three LP. So we've started this movement called the live and let live movement. And you know what? I don't have time to talk to unreasonable people, right? I start the discussion and say, don't you think aggression is wrong? And if somebody says, not really. I mean, I, I kind of think it's okay for me to aggress against you and tell you what to do, but you shouldn't aggress against me or some crazy thing like that. I may spend a minute or two trying to get our terms straight. But if at the end of the day, I'm dealing with someone you might call a thug, somebody who wants to aggress against another person. That's what I call such people, thugs. If you're a thug, well, I, don't, I, I can't really spend much time talking to thugs. But you know, Brittany, I have confidence that there are enough people in the world who are non-thugs. I think we got enough people now who are reasonable who can at least see the value of. Well, safety. here's the here's the problem I see though. I, th I think you're right. I think most people are non-thugs. <clears throat> the vast majority of people are non-thugs and just want to live their lives and be left alone to do so. Here's the problem I see: is that the vast majority of people have also been convinced that the thugs who are ruling over us are not thugs and that that's legitimate. And I think that's the thing that needs to be chipped away at because, you know, everything you say sounds completely reasonable. And I think everybody, everybody would agree with that. Um, but then when it comes down to, okay, well then governor Newsom has no right to order, you know, under the live and let live principles, he has no business doing 90% of the stuff he's been doing for the past few months. And if there are enough people who, for whatever tribal, religious, whatever you want to call it, this, this thinking that makes it okay for agents of the state to behave in ways that it's not okay for individuals to behave in, then what do we do about that? 
Well, I think it's a great question. And I think that where we have failed in the past, and when I say we, I mean the people who understand this, the people who I've called pro-freedom, pro-peace. Because of course, you can't get to either freedom or peace with a rule that says it's okay to aggress, right? By definition. And so where we failed in the past is we haven't put the principle right out in front. Mm. So we start in other places. We start with things like, well, don't you think marijuana should be legal? Yeah. Or don't yeah. you think this or that should be? We start with these sort of grassroots type issues without getting agreement on the principle. One of the things about the live and let live movement, that's why we call it the live and let live movement. The first thing we talk about is what does it mean to live and let live? Mm. We put the principle out there first and I don't talk about another damn thing until I get agreement on the principle. I say, let me tell you, we're, here's where I start. Do you agree with the idea of live and let live? And it just so happens I got the wind at my back here, right? Because they're, the phrase live and let live is already well accepted around the world. In fact, my good friend Alessandro Fusilo, who's a lawyer in Italia, he says, Mark, we got a way to say live and let live in Italian. And there's a way to say it in French and in German and in Spanish. And usually people are going like this while they're saying it, live and let live. Great. It's easy to get agreement on live and let live. What's a little harder is to break it down a little bit more, right? So we got to break it down. So what we do is just like I explained it. We start with baby steps. What does it mean to live in that live? Well, if it means anything, it means you shouldn't aggress against another person. If I'm hitting you over the head, I'm violating the live and let live rule, don't you think? So we get agreement on that point. Then we break it down a little bit. Force, fraud, coercion, the substantial risk. Before I move to any other issue, mm -hmm. I get agreement on live and let live. And then I have a special way I answer these questions. If you say, hey, Mark, how do you feel about marijuana legalization? I'll say, well, see, I'm a live and let liver. I believe in one important principle, and I answer it the same way every time. Okay, so let me ask you, let me ask you, um, as a live and let liver, how do you deal with the issue of masks, to wear masks or not to wear masks, to mandate masks or not to mandate masks? Okay, well, I think it's fair to say that the live and let live principle is pretty simple and easy to understand. But to be fair, there are many issues that are very hard. Um, and then there are some that are very easy. The marijuana issue, which is something I just brought up, I think that's an easy one, right? I mean, if you're an adult and you're sitting in your backyard and you're smoking marijuana and that's all you're doing, well, you're not initiating force, fraud, or coercion or the risk of such things, so there's no problem. If you get high and you get in your car and you drive down the road and you're driving in a way that creates a substantial risk to other people, ah, now you're violating the rule. Easy one to resolve. When you're talking about a global pandemic, and this is one, by the way, of many hard issues to resolve. I think this issue is very complex. I think reasonable minds can disagree on these types of issues. So the way I like to resolve these issues, and this is how we deal with it in the Live and Let Live movement, we offload those to hopefully the smallest communities. And we say, look, you guys act as little experiments in what the best way is to implement the Live and Let Live rule. So if we talk about a pandemic, and again, this is really gets to the heart of what the Live and Let Live movement is about. It's about analyzing these issues around a certain principle. Let's first agree that 
whatever the problem is, if we're talking about a law, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about political philosophy and government and all of these things, we're talking about what the law ought to be. Because when you talk about government, our government breaks down into three branches. The branch that makes the law, the branch that enforces the law, and the branch that interprets the law. So to be clear, that's what we're talking about, what the law should be. So we get down into the weeds of the pandemic issue. We analyze it always around the live and let live principle. You should get to, you should be allowed to do whatever the heck you want with your property unless and until you are violating the live and let live principle. So if I was on the side of say masks and all of this and that, and again, here, part of the problem we have, which is, is um, part of the problem we have generally in the world now, is we don't agree on facts. We got fact. Mm -hmm. We have a fact problem. It's mm -hmm. the same exact issue we get into with, say, global warming, right? Or global cooling or whatever. We don't agree on the facts. We have disagreements on the facts. Let's at least acknowledge that and say, we got to get to the bottom of the facts first. And then once we have a discussion about the facts, once we have agreement on the facts, we can then analyze the principle. So to take it out of the argument of the dispute over the facts at the moment, let's just use a hypothetical. Let's imagine we've got a pandemic and let's say the pandemic is really, really, really contagious and really deadly. Okay, well, if that's the case, then you might be creating a substantial risk to another person by simply moving about in the world and coughing on somebody. Because imagine for a moment a situation where somebody actually has a deadly disease. Let's say they know it and they don't tell another person that they have it. And let's just say they engage in sexual relations with that person. That's an aggravated assault under our law and it should be. That definitely violates the live and let live rule. Why? Because you are intentionally initiating force or fraud or coercion against another person by giving, knowingly giving them a communicable disease. Okay, so what if you're reckless about it? And again, this is why sometimes I think, and I'm, I'm trying not to be arrogant or sound horrible about this, but it's easier to talk to lawyers about these issues because we understand these mental states. Maybe the law should be debated among lawyers, not to say non-lawyers shouldn't have something to say, but a lot of times when people aren't educated in the law and they start throwing positions around that they don't really understand, it makes it harder to have the discussion. So if one is reckless about having such a disease, right? Say, well, I might have it. I, I certainly hope I don't have it, but, I, but there's a pretty good chance I have it, but I'm gonna have sex with somebody anyways and take the risk, okay, that substantial risk definitely violates the live and let live principle. So the question then is left, in the midst of a global pandemic, if it's determined that one is actually reckless about having the virus, because you may have it, you might not have symptoms, and it's very communicable, and this, that, and the other thing, then there might be some basis to say, if you go out into the world and you then recklessly transmit a deadly disease to another person, that violates the live and let live rule. And if you're violating the live and let live rule, we can tell you you can't do that. Okay, so now to bring it back into sort of our world, what I would like to see is the private property owner make decisions about consent. What do I mean by consent? Well, if I'm a gym owner 
and I'm in the midst of a global pandemic, I have lots of options. I could say option one, I'm closing shop and I'm not going to risk this or that to my people. You're absolutely free to say that. You might also say I'm open for business. I think at that point I would say, look, if you come here to my gym, you are accepting a risk that you might get the virus that's in question. And then I deal with it that way. It's just like any other violation of the live and let live rule. You can consent to such a violation. That's like a football game or a boxing match. When somebody punches you in the face, there, that could be a violation of the live and let live rule unless you're consenting. You both shake hands and sign something that says, I agree that you could punch me in the face and I can punch you in the face. No problem. So I think we could could go a long way here to if, of course, this presupposes we don't have public property, right? Because to the extent we have- Right, <clears throat> right. That introduces a whole new- It's confusing, right? Because now public property is owned by everybody, which is something your dad would say, <laughs> akin to saying it's owned by nobody. So we have confusion over who's making the rules and how we're making the rules. I mean, we could simply resolve this by saying, if it's public property, well, then the public officials will make the decision about what happens on the public property. So maybe the governor should have something to say about all public property, courthouses, public beaches, public parks, things like that. And they can make the decision under what circumstances somebody can enter. Now, maybe we're not comfortable with that because the nature of public property is we're all having a big dispute over who gets to say what happens. I would love to see a world where we resolved this in so many other issues by simply having more private property, right? Mm -hmm. For a moment, if you put your brain in a spot where we have now almost everything, if not everything, is private property, well, now it's easy. I deal with it like I deal with my house. Right. In the middle of right. a pandemic, I say, Brittany calls and says, hey, Mark, I want to come over for dinner. Well, I can decide at my house with, of course, the express permission of my wife to say, we'll take the risk and have Brittany come over. Or Brittany can only come if she wears a mask. Or Brittany has to get a test to prove she's negative for coronavirus two or three days before. And you've got nothing to say about it. If you don't like my rules, like any other rule that I might have at my home, you don't get to come to my home. You can always say, sorry, Mark, I don't like your rule. I'm not coming. Wouldn't that be a much easier way to deal with these types of issues? But in today's world, where we have so much public property, so much of it is public, the roads are public, the beaches are public, uh, so much of everything is public, then we get into these disputes over how the public property ought to be treated. So I find this among the hardest of the issues, mostly because we don't have good facts on the ground, mostly because we have a horrible press mostly because we have people who just want to hear echo chambers of more confirmation bias of what they already believe. So if you like Trump, you listen to Fox News and all you mm -hmm. hear is Trump's the greatest thing ever. And if you don't like Trump, well, you listen to MSNBC and you hear Trump's the worst ever. And this is part of our problem. And we got to own this. This isn't the government problem. This is an individual re responsibility problem. We get the government and the press that we deserve, right? If we sit around and we're a bunch of idiots and all we want is an echo chamber in a sort of Facebook, social media type of press, then that's what we get, that's what we deserve. When enough people, the reasonable people of the world, 
stand up and take the pitchforks to the public square and say, you know what, we want, we want a good, accurate media. We want a return to reporting that deals with facts without commentary, and it's not social activism, but is actual, honest reporting. There's a, when there's a market for that, then that's what we'll get. That's how the market works. Let me ask you one more thing, because I know you need to get going. You do, you've done a lot, um, as, as an attorney, you've done a lot to promote freedom. And I know you recently had, uh, you sued the governor of Hawaii. Can you just quickly tell me what, what happened with that? Yes, I have a, a group of plaintiffs in Hawaii who did not like how the governor was handling things. There were some good claims in there, not just about how the governor was handling things, but about the, whether or not the governor still had power to handle things. What I mean by that is, look, the governor's job is to execute and enforce the laws, not to make the laws. But in Hawaii, there's a provision that says, okay, look, if there's an emergency and the governor gets to decide what an emergency is, and by the way, I find this somewhat reasonable, right? Because things can happen in the world that actually could be an emergency. The governor's got the power for 60 days to make the law and enforce the law. The reason for the 60 days makes sense if you think about it, because this gives time for the professional legislators to meet and decide what laws should be made to deal with the emergency. But that's not what happened in Hawaii. What happened is day 60 came and the governor just said, well, I'm going to extend the order for another 30 days or another 60 days. And now he's got his like ninth supplemental proclamation out there. So we uh, filed a claim that says the governor doesn't get to act like this. You don't get a perpetual a sort of dictator that gets to make and enforce laws. So we brought a suit in federal court, and uh, another suit was brought after ours. And for strategic reasons that I am not at liberty to discuss at the moment, we decided to drop our case uh, and let the other case proceed. However, today I was notified that the other case, uh, the federal judge in the other case denied a temporary restraining order. So uh, the governor's rule will stand at least for a while. However, my clients are interested in possibly bringing a state action in Hawaii, and we may bring a lawsuit in the state court. And the claim I just described, the 60-day claim, is really more of a state claim than it is a federal claim. So uh, it's somewhat complex, and there's lots of legal strategy involved. And look, I do uh, basically what my clients want me to do, so long as it's not frivolous and complies with the rules of ethics that we lawyers have to follow. And um, look, we're the attorneys for freedom. And so attorneys need to stand up during times like this and take cases and bring cases. We just had one here in Arizona where a, um, the owner of Euro Pizza Cafe in Fountain Hills was charged with basically violating the governor's order because she was serving food to go and wasn't, people were not allowed to eat at the restaurant. And people took the food and then turned over chairs and tables and started sitting and eating. And the police basically wanted my client, the owner of the restaurant, to shoo them away. Her attitude was, well, I'm not law enforcement officer. You guys shoo them away. I'm making pizza. And so she got cited with violating the governor's order. We found a similar provision in Arizona law that basically says, look, uh, the governor's actions here, they don't apply to private businesses, only to government property, which is what I think it should be in the first place. Right, right. So we brought a motion to dismiss saying, hey, Euro Pizza is a private business and doesn't have to comply with what the governor, the governor's edicts. 
And the state's response to that was, uh, I think we'll just dismiss the case. Hmm. So dismiss the case, which was fine for my client. And we had a little press conference the other day and released a statement and the criminal charges were dropped against her. So, nice. um, but if lawyers are listening to this, this is the time. This is the time for lawyers. This is why we are the most important profession on the planet. We are in charge of uh, checking the government when they get outside the law. It's about the law, right? And so we need to stand up and bring cases. Some of them need to be brought pro bono. We brought ours pro bono. We represented uh, our client who owned Euro Pizza pro bono without a dime because it was the right thing to do. Although people will hear this and we'll be inundated with, hey, can you take <laughs> the case for free? No, we can't take everybody's case for free. But the government can't be trusted to police the government, right? It has to be private attorneys who bring cases. And so uh, that's why we call ourselves the Attorneys for Freedom. Every lawyer who works at my firm has to sign a what we call the Live and Let Live Pledge. It's on our website, attorneysforfreedom.com. Because if you're really not an attorney for freedom, you can't work as an attorney at the <laughs> Attorneys for Freedom. That would be a fraud to me. So we've got a what I like to call a pack of wild wolves of hardcore pro-freedom uh, lawyers who are not afraid to bring cases against the government. And, and by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't point out this is all because of your dad, Butler Schaefer. I entered law school as a pretty hardcore Republican and I came out a pretty hardcore pro-freedom guy. And it was because your dad beat me down uh, after uh, months and months of arguing about what the proper role of government is. But I, I'm forever eternally grateful to Butler Schaefer, as I know many, many people are. Your dad left incredible legacy for the planet Earth and huge amount of writings and incredible volumes of his books and all his articles on Lou Rockwell. We've also started a website, butlerschaefer.com, where we've preserved some of his writings and articles and some things people have said. but. Um, I don't need to tell you this, but maybe people who didn't know Butler, what a tremendous loss to the world. And, you know, I always feel when we lose somebody like that, especially on a huge freedom, a person like your dad, we all got to step up to pick up the slack. So that's exactly what we did. That's why I started the Live and Let Live movement. I thought, you know, we need a, we need a new movement. It's time for something new. And by the way, I'll just say um, before we get off, uh, we've started a website. We're not really ready yet to launch the movement, but if people go to liveandletlive.org, what you'll see is a website under construction, and we're working very hard on some videos and easier ways to explain and offload the freedom philosophy by putting the principle right out there up front, the live and let live principle. I'm also writing a book. It's entitled Live and Let Live, The Road to Peace, Prosperity, and Happiness, little take on Hayek's book, where I'm going to really offload uh, how this principle works and how it applies to regular everyday issues and why it makes sense and why people of, um, who are inclined towards any size of government, with, whether you are for no government or small government or big government or global government, look, as long as whatever the government does, it doesn't violate the live and let live rule in any way, and it shouldn't, nobody, no organization, no government should ever get to violate the live and let live rule. If it doesn't violate the live and let live rule, I got no beef with any organization or any government or any person. Live your life however you think is best. Just don't bother anybody else. How could you disagree with that? 
Exactly. Um, I know you've got to get running. Thank you so much for being on the show. <clears throat> um, I do want to have you back, um, partly to talk about there are some other lawsuits going on. There's one against Governor Newsom right now. Um, so I'd love to have, have your commentary on that. Um, thank you so much. Brittany, just you let me know when you want me back on. We probably are going to need some more time because these are very important. Yeah, these are huge issues. These are There's huge not issues. There's a podcast like yours. So thank you for everything you're doing to, uh, to promote freedom. I mean, that's, to me, it's one of the most important things that we can do during the short time that we're here on the planet. Let's try to yeah. leave. Let's try to leave the planet better than we found it. So thanks for everything you do. And it's been a real honor to be on your podcast. And thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being here. All right. Take care.